Good morning. In case you don't know, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant, and I am really excited to be with you guys uh, this morning. Um, kids, you can't be dismissed to the back. Um, school-age kids, uh, Miss Robin, Mr. Jason, Miss Taylor, uh, not school-age, kindergarten through second grade. Got you. Yes, I don't want to have a prison break here. Um, uh, if you're at home watching online, at the end of the service, at the end of the message, we're going to take communion. So if you have supplies at your house you want to gather right now as we're kind of getting started, I would encourage you to do that right now. Uh, mine is in my pocket because I forget. Somebody yell at me at the end if I forget where it is. Um, we are, last week Luke started this, this new series entitled Refresh, in which we're taking basically five weeks to look at five really non-negotiables of the church and as followers of Jesus. These five things that, um, if we're going to call ourselves Jesus people, that we have to walk in. And it's also five things, if we're being honest, we've noticed a bit of a drift in as us the people over this past season of life and of ministry. And today we're going to look at this, this pursuit of being a unified community. That we are, as we just sang, a unified community. In short, we are a family. We are the family of God. As we think about this, though, um, it's really easy to get kind of caught up in just our world today. So I want to start just this morning looking at the end in Revelation uh, of where this is headed and how this family will look like one day. Revelation 7 verse 9 says this. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This beautiful picture of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people under one banner, right? The banner of the King, the banner of our Lord Jesus Christ, that one day there'll be this with all kinds of people so large that we can't even imagine. No arguments, no tears, no petty differences, just one thing. Us together being in awe of our Lord and Savior. And as I read this and I'm taken out of my day-to-day, my heart is overwhelmed with the hope of our future. And I am filled with, with the word is just true joy. True joy of what, of what is coming one day. And here's the thing about the family of God, the Jesus family, as I'm going to say today. We are to be this foretaste of what's going to happen. That when the world sees us, they see something different. They see an element of every tribe, people, tongue, and nation with all kinds of differences coming together for one reason alone, to worship our king. But the other side of the coin, as I look at this picture in Revelation, and my heart is a bit grieved at where the church is in 2020, at where Covenant Church is in 2020. To be real honest, 
many times where my own art is in 2020. That we are, we are never, of course, until this side of God's plan, going to worship in that way. But how we are woefully short from this picture. And I think about this on a practical level. This story here, this picture, what's going to happen of every tribe, nation, tongue, clothed in white robes with palm branches worshiping God. Can you imagine if we try to do this right now today? If we got all the churches across the world, all the denominations, there would be fight upon fight upon fight over the length of the palm branches, what kind of white robes we're going to wear all the way down to our knees, how are we going to do this exactly? All of these little things would come up because we, here is what, as I prayed this week and really searched out what God has for us through this text today. Yes, we have a preference problem where we put our preferences above the kingdom of God. That is, that is true. But I believe even greater than that is this right here, is that we're now a very tribal world. If you look around, all of us as people, we basically subscribe to some kind of tribe. Whether it's a political tribe, a social tribe, um, a, a theological tribe, denominational tribe. And these tribes, so to speak, these lesser tribes... What I see among a lot of us in the world and the church today is these lesser tribes have overtaken the major purpose of the church. That these tribes, in a sense, have become unhealthy little churches. And we've let these tribes and our preferences and these issues have more weight on us than the weight of God's word in the church. And part of this is because the church has done a bad job of this right here. I watched this documentary years ago. It was a political documentary. And this politician, he was able to just get thousands upon thousands of volunteers. I saw this picture, a room like this size, but filled to the brim with young people, old people, Black people, white people, all coming together for this common cause to help get this politician elected. And for them, they saw two things. They saw great purpose, that if we elect this person, something in the world will change. And second, they had a role to play in this. And those two things, and many tribes that we've subscribed to in this world, these lesser things, have given us what we feel like is great purpose. But what's happened is... They're not the church. Because see, the church of Jesus has a better story and a better way than the lesser things of this world. And if we keep subscribing and committing and all these things, these lesser things of the world, we're going to constantly be in this place of just conflict. Not a place of unity, not a place of love, but a place of conflict. Because you see, with these little tribes today, whatever your little thing is, you have to tell me today or even ever, but we all have kind of little preferences, little worlds that we live in. And we know with these little tribes where to go worship. We know the podcast to go to. We know the books to read. We know the blogs to visit, 
the social media accounts to do. We know the, the, the news and radio stations. Whatever our little lesser tribe is, we know where to go for worship. We know to, where to go to truly be discipled by these lesser things. And one of the crises for the church in America today is this right here, and for our church as well, is that we're being discipled more by these lesser things, these lesser tribes, than by God's word, and then by each other as well. We're letting the content of these media things, all the different things, disciple and in a sense distract us from our true purpose. And listen, I am just like you. My heart is drawn to these lesser things because it's much easier to sit and absorb content and just get mad and frustrated at all the other silly tribes out there because my tribe has it all figured out. I get it. I get it. But hear this. The church of Jesus Christ Every tribe, tongue, nation, people has a better story and a better way. See, these tribes are built upon how they are different than these other tribes. But our tribe, our family, our Jesus family is built on one thing, the work of Jesus Christ. That takes down the walls of all these lesser things and brings us together as a people. Let's look at God's word in Ephesians 4 this morning at this picture that Paul gives us of Christ and his church. Let me pray for us. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, I ask for uh, your spirit at this moment to open your word to our eyes and hearts. Lord, remove distraction, remove opinion, remove my words. Let your word be central and authoritative. And Lord, let us nourish on your word this morning because it's in your word, in your presence, where true life and joy is found. Let us submit to that good news this morning. Speak to us. We love you. We do all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 1. I love this passage, by the way, and so I'm going to try not to go too long today. But you're at nice tables, got tablecloths, we'll be good. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul says this here, I therefore, got to stop right there, it's going to be a long Sunday. I therefore, um, Paul for the first three chapters is just given really one of the most beautiful accounts of who we are in Christ Jesus. How we as a people, for the beginning of the world, God plucked us out. And this is who we are, the objective truth, these first three chapters in Ephesians of who we are in Christ Jesus. And now Paul is turning to kind of talk about the implications of how we live in light of what God has done. So I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, I urge you, another thing I already said, I beg of you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Church, we have a great responsibility. If you've been saved by Jesus Christ, you have a great responsibility to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. Paul is giving the church a picture of here now is how we should look in light of what Christ has done. Walk in this calling. And this calling has two kind of roles. One, we are a set-apart people. We are different than the rest of the world. When the world runs away from the hurt and the poor and the hard things, the church runs in. Where the, per- where the world uses harsh words and, and divisive language, the church is peaceable and loving and gentle. 
that we are a set-apart people. But our calling is not just for us. Yes, we are set apart to be holy, but we're also set apart to be this picture to a watching world of what is happening with God's plan. That the world can see the church and see, I want to be a part of that. That is a picture of something my soul longs for. So in short, here's our main idea for the day. The Jesus family is set apart from the world for the benefit of the world. The Jesus family, because we're a family because of one thing, because of Jesus. The Jesus family, we're set apart, we're different, but it's for the benefit of the world. And Paul lines out here in these next few verses really three attributes that defines the Jesus family. If we are set apart, this is how it looks for us to be set apart. Ephesians 4 verse 2, he says here, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love. That's always, I read this, I think of my kids. That's all I think about is my kids when I read this. Um, Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul in a sense here is lining out the fruits of the spirit, isn't he? That we're to be a people with the fruits of the Spirit. Or go back to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus described his kingdom. That we are these kingdom set apart people. But it starts with humility. Hear this today. A healthy church, a healthy Jesus family starts with humility. Because if you hear how God has rescued you, you might think that you had something special to offer, correct? This all starts with humility. That we come to each other as fellow sinners and wretched people saved by grace. We were the slaves who were set free. That is our common bond. With humility, this all starts. Bearing with love. What this means is, is that we look, over, we look past offense after offense after offense. And my only picture of this really is your own nuclear family. Think about your nuclear family. Your, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your siblings. All those people you can't leave, Right? In a relationship like that, you have to look past a thousand offenses every single day, don't you? And we bear with one another as we live in this life. But we bear with love. We bear with this, I love this person so much, I'm going to look past the fact that they are always saying really stupid things. We bear with one another in love. And his last point here is that we are eager eager. I also read that you make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Listen, we can't create unity. Only Christ does that as our foundation. But listen, church, please listen this morning. We can definitely mess up unity. We can break unity. We can cause division and conflict. And this idea of being eager to maintain this Listen, we're really eager to maintain right doctrine, as we should be. We are eager. Listen, if one of you in your small group tomorrow preached that the virgin birth is not real, we'd have coffee the next day. Because that would be a dividing line that we just cannot go past. We can't lose right doctrine, can we? But hear this, what Paul is saying, Jesus prayed this in John 17, right? That the, we would be one. Listen, 
unity is not a negotiable thing in the church. Division is not okay because you don't like this person. What Paul is saying, we must be eager, make every effort. Don't let this one go, church. Don't be okay with us not being unified. Make every effort to maintain unity. As you see verses 2 and 3, we see our first kind of attribute here. That the Jesus family reflects the character of Jesus. The Jesus family reflects the character of Jesus. That when the world sees us, they should see a picture of Jesus. Not a perfect one, of course not. But a, a picture, a shadow of Jesus. But, but here, is, here is the drift. Here is where we need to hit refresh, so to speak. Many times, we're not reflecting this character in the church, are we? We're not reflecting his character. We're reflecting kind of the world's or our tribe's character, which is this right here, which is full of pride, which we really just think that we're right and everyone else is wrong. And honestly, we're not gentle. We're really harsh. We're really harsh. We're not patient. If you don't get this figured out, get out of my face and leave me alone. Block, 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 block. Get away from me. I don't have time with you. And, and we're not eager to maintain unity at all. The first time we're offended, many times. This is me as well, my own heart. I have to watch this so carefully with me and my wife, Tracy. As we're talking, just in our conversations right there, we can cause division in our hearts, correct? Because I'm so prideful, I'm not eager to maintain unity. I just want you to leave me alone. That's the negative side. But here's our issue. Why do we keep walking in this way? Here's why. We're not drinking in the grace of God. Luke 7 says this in this story Jesus tells about this great debt that is forgiven. He says, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. And here is the key. But he who is forgiven little loves little. We have to drink in the grace of God that saved and forgave us from every wretched thing that we have done. We have to drink in this grace. But here's the thing. We don't just drink it in once at VBS 20 years ago. We have to drink in this grace every single day. See, our issue is that most days we are being fed through the media and through different things how much we are owed. I hear all the time of how I've been, what I am owed and how right I should be. But instead of being reminded through God's word how much we have been forgiven. We drink in the worldly things that I am owed something and we don't drink in the renewing of God's word that says I am a sinner and God saved me. And what happens is we feel like we've been forgiven little. And so we show little grace, little patience, little mercy, and little gentleness. This is how uh, Bonhoeffer describes us in Life Together. This is probably my favorite book on being community in church. I would encourage all of y'all to read this book. But in Life Together, he says this. When God was merciful, when he revealed Jesus Christ to us as our brother, when he won our hearts by his love, this was the beginning of our instruction in divine love. When God was merciful to us, we learned to be merciful with our brethren. When we received forgiveness instead of judgment, we too were made ready to forgive our brethren. What God did to us 
we then owed to others. The more we received, the more we were able to give. And the more meager our brotherly love, the less we were living by God's mercy and love. I will tell you, uh, for me personally, um, in case you don't know, um, I was off with a study break, I guess about a month or two ago for three weeks, and I got uh, COVID during that time, which is lovely, just really lovely time for me and my family. And um, full confession here, I got really discouraged. Um, bless Tracy. That's all I'm going to say is bless Tracy. Um, because she got it too, but I whined a lot more, I promise you that. Um, I got really discouraged. I was frustrated that I was sick. I had a fear for 14 days that would not go away. And I was as low as I have been in a long time. And I was consuming so much media. I was consuming so much nonsense that led to frustration, that led to fear, led to anxiety, and just made me depressed, to be honest with you. And Tracy one day um, was tired of it, God love her, and sat me down and said, you have got to fill your heart and mind with other things. And I will tell you, that was true then. That is true every single day of my life of our lives. When we are filling our hearts and minds with these lesser things, friends, we are not going to be gentle with each other. We're not going to bear with each other with love. We're not going to be eager to maintain unity. We're not. We're going to reflect the world. So here's my challenge. As we talk about this idea, this attribute, I want to challenge you and ask us to resolve this week to give God more time than our screens. What if you found a day this week? Maybe not a week. Maybe like, oh, a day this week where you literally got a pen and paper out. And every time you're on your phone or watching the news or watching Netflix or doing some kind of media or screen type thing, you wrote, you logged your time. And then you took your time of reading God's word, of praying, of singing songs, of walking outside and talking to God, those kind of things of being with God. And you log those things. And if just for one day that you resolve to spend more time with God than the things and the screens of this world, friends, here's what you would learn. And what I learn when I do this once a year is that there is this great thing that happens as I am filled with the knowledge and the spirit of God and not the things of this world. And from there, what happens is this miraculous thing, nothing I do, but God bears fruit in my life. So when my child puts a decedent all over her body during nap time, I respond with grace and love and peace and a light spanking. And that's what we do. But we're walking in the ways of this world, we blow up, don't we? Or we see the Facebook post from this person who uses foolish words, and we just write them off instead of praying for them or talking to them. Let's resolve to give God more time than our screens. But Paul doesn't stop just with our character. He gives an even grander view of the calling of the Jesus family. Look at verse 4. He says here, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That is an entire sermon right there, which I can't get to, but hear this. What he is trying to help us see is that we are one people through what God did. That we are one. It's the most, it should be the most unified thing that our world could see. We are covenanted together. 
We are one. It's like a husband and wife, right? Christ and the church. We are now unified. Nothing can separate us. We are one. Let me keep going. Paul then makes a turn away from just talking about unity to talking about diversity. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But then he also descended into the lower regions of the earth. We are not going there today, I'm sorry. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul is giving us a picture here that Christ accomplished everything through his work. And now that he has ascended into heaven, he has given the church the spoils of his victory. He has given the church these gifts. Let's keep going. Verse 11, he gave us these gifts of leadership in the church. He gave us apostles, he gave us prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. And he gave us this gift to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He gave the church these gifts to live out for this reason right here. Look at verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, as we live out our diverse gifts with each other, we become actually more unified. And to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This unity that we are one that leads to great diversity that Jesus has given us, leads us to become a more mature people. Which is our second attribute today. The Jesus family is unified but diverse. The Jesus family is unified but diverse. Whew. This, um, this is such an easy area for us to drift. Because we're all, we're all wired so differently, correct? God has gifted you a certain way, and you a certain way, and you a certain way, and me a certain way, and all these different things. He has gifted us. But then the enemy uses these things to cause division, right? Because we see this, I think Corinthians, Paul talks about the body, that some are jealous that these have these gifts and those have those gifts, and some have these gifts and they're prideful, all these kinds of things. That's why Paul starts this text about humility. This all starts with us being humble because Christ is the one who gave us our gifts. Listen, we bought this lie that our diverse gifts and diverse passions means we can't be unified. That because God has wired you this way or given you this experience or whatever God has done in your life and this person's is a different passion or a different gifting that we can't be the church. This also goes in the big church. That there are all kinds of churches doing all kinds of things. And have mercy on us if we're going to be the church that wags our finger at churches that do it differently. Here's the tension. We, we can't let our gifts and passions lead us more than the gospel or we will destroy our unity. Bonhoeffer says this. Every human wish and dream that is injected into the Christian community is a hindrance to genuine community and must be banished if genuine community is to survive. He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. 
when we elevate our gifts, elevate what God is doing in our lives and leading us to do over the unity of the faith, we will destroy community. And ultimately, we'll destroy our gifts because our gifts are meant to be used in the context of a body, of a family, together, joined together, which makes our gifts powerful and beautiful to a watching world. But when we fly solo, I say this because, because our gifts are what, dri- are what drives us, we, be- we become prideful and our gifts lose their power and lose their effectiveness. Our gifts come from Jesus. And they're only truly helpful when we stay focused on Jesus. I think we'd all agree Jesus has made us one. We always say that, we believe that, but Jesus also is the one who has gifted us. All of this finds its home, its rootedness in Jesus. I'll give you an example. So I work with uh, Luke, and I love Luke. Um, me and Luke are very different. Uh, I am better, he is worse. I'm just kidding. Um, but we're very different. I, I, if you look at this apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, I am much more of a shepherd. I am much more concerned with how you're doing. It's exhausting. It really is. But I'm just really concerned with how whatever we do as a church is going to affect you. God has gifted me that way, and it's a gift from God. But when I am focused too much on the gifts God has given me, sometimes I'll lose sight of what God is actually doing. And so when Luke comes in, much more apostolic or an apostle, Luke wants to start new things. If you know Luke at all, he wants to start new things on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day of the week. He wants to start a new thing. That's that whole, it's the whole Allen family, actually, if you talk to them. Um, that's why they're wired. Um, and so there are times that if I am not walking, if I am not consuming Jesus, drinking in his grace every single day, and Luke comes in walking in the power of the Spirit and says, we need to plant this church across town then my shepherd and prideful hat, well, if we do this, it's going to make this person upset, this person upset, this person upset. At that moment, I am letting the way God has gifted me and wired me and given me passions for supersede the voice of God. And this happens in smaller ways throughout the church all the time. Because we let our thing become the thing. Listen, I want to affirm the passions and the gifts God has given you. We want to, our job is to equip you to let you go out and do these amazing things for God's kingdom. But hear this, our ministries, our gifts, our passions can never supersede Jesus Christ. He is the foundation for everything that we do. So here's our, I want us to resolve to this this week. Resolve to focus on the giver and not on the gifts. It is so easy to be consumed with ministry. This is John 15, correct? We must abide in the vine and he will bear fruit through us in our lives. But, but here's the thing. Here's the, uh, kind of the elephant in the room. So we are, we are unified but diverse. What happens when someone in our midst is not being gentle. Or if someone in our midst is, is gossiping. Or if someone is not walking the things we just talked How do we proceed? How do we move forward? I'm going to tell you, these next few verses, I'm not trying to be like a salesman here, I promise you I'm not. But I believe if we as a people 
could learn how to practice what Paul's going to teach us in a moment, it could transform us as a people and what we're doing. Let's look at uh, verse 14. Paul says here, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul knows the drift is coming. Paul wasn't around for social media. He wasn't. But he knew that every wind of doctrine was going to try to blow us away, correct? So Paul knows this is coming. Here's a response. Rather, please underline this, write it down, memorize it. Speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. We'll come back to that in a second. We are to grow up in every way. And listen to this. We talk a lot of times as a church how we want to walk up with the Father. We want to live in community with each other and move out to a watching world. If we learn to speak truth in love, this can help us look here. Look here. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking truth and love leads us to Jesus Christ, to going up. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint moving in, which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow, moves out so that it builds itself up in love. We see this beautiful picture of the church of up, in, and out. But many times what happens is we agree, we sing these truths, we affirm these truths. But the minute that someone steps out of line by every, every wind of doctrine, we're just done. We don't have time for it. But Paul is saying here, we must learn how to speak truth and love. Which is our last point. The Jesus family grows through speaking truth and love. Listen, sermons are great. Listen to them. Love when Luke preaches, when other people preach in our church, they are great. But if we as a people, if we can learn how to truly speak truth and love over the table, over the phone, over text, over coffee, over all these ways, it would transform us as a people. Here's how we drift. The world has us go to one or two extremes here. The first extreme is polarization. It's when you mess up or you think or you say wrong things or you're foolish here, I'm just going to kind of be done with you. I'm going to speak truth by slamming you on social media. I'm going to speak truth by talking about you behind your back. I'm going to speak truth by breaking a relationship. That's what the world really tells us to do, that if this is cancel culture, isn't it? That if you step out of line in any way, I'm done with you and I'm going to slam you on the way out. The second way is this right here is that we love each other by ignoring things. <laughs> that we're walking in an affair, we can't talk to them about that. We, we got to love them through this, right? Which just, it means ignoring it, I guess. And both these ways are faulty. Both these ways are really unhelpful. Listen, when you try to ignore those kind of things, you just become bitter, don't you? Man, if we did a heart check right now of all of us in this room, except for mine, we can't do that. But a very person of how we just are bitter at people because we never go and speak truth in love. So we stay bitter and they stay sinful. It's no good for anybody, is it? 
So how can we begin to learn to speak truth in love? This is how the church can be so countercultural. This is the better way of the Jesus family, isn't it? So I want to walk you through just five steps to help you resolve to speak truth in love. That if this week, if you just made a commitment in your heart to resolve to speak truth in love. First step, pray and give it to God. So you're offended by something. Um, Somebody is really sinning around you. Pray and give it to God. Pray that God would change their hearts. Pray that this wouldn't offend you any longer. Because many times God's doing a work that we can't even see. And so maybe your step is just to pray for them. And then God releases that from you the next day. But if you pray and give it to God, let's go to the next step. If it's still on your heart, if it's still there a few days, a week later, that they're walking in this, go right to the person. Go right. Don't go to a friend. Don't even go to a pastor. Just because, here's why. Newsflash, you have the spirit of God living inside of you. Go to the person. Third step, as you're with that person on the phone, at coffee, at your house, share your concern clearly. I've seen you talk to your wife this way. What's going on there? Why do you talk to them that way? Well, I, I, I see the way that you're, you know, you're not helping. Why are you doing that? But share it with humility. Not with like you've arrived. A, a great way to do this is just ask a question. Say, I have seen this. Help me understand with humility and gentleness. After that, remind them of the gospel. Because many times for almost every person walking in sin and deceitful schemes is this right here. They have forgotten the good news of the gospel. They have subscribed to a different scheme of the world. So our job as the church is to remind them of the gospel. And last thing, Remind them you love them. This is that family piece. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to see you through this. We're going to battle this together. Remind them that you love them. Here's how I explain this. Many times, I'm talking about marriage for a moment. I talk with many of you in this room about marriage issues. And I'll see things and I'll just simply share what I've seen. You're not showing grace to each other. You're not spending time together, whatever it might be. But almost every time what's happened, they have forgotten the gospel. Speaking truth and love is actually speaking Jesus to people. It's giving them Jesus to help them grow up into Jesus. And we give them Jesus by reminding what Jesus has done. Listen, listen I know that, you, I, listen, with these marriage things, I, I know your spouse is difficult. Your, your spouse is a really bad sinner. I understand all those things. But Jesus Christ came and saved you as a sinner. So now we go and we show grace and mercy and we speak truth and love for the rest of our lives with our spouses. So we have to learn how to speak truth and love. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the Jesus family being set apart from the world for the benefit of the world? Can you imagine if we, the church, actually did this? If we, the church, were more consumed by God's word than the things of the world. If we, the church, kept our eyes focused on the giver of the gifts and not just our gifts. If we, the church, learned how to bear with one another and speak truth in love. Can you imagine what this body would look like? Can you imagine? Can you imagine what the world would see 
how the world would benefit, how the world would change through the people of God being the Jesus family. So this week, I would encourage you, get your connection card out, it's on your phone, your table, write down, what is God leading you to this week? What are you going to resolve to this week? Maybe for you, it's that screen thing. You have to give more time to God. Let us know that we want to pray for you this week. Maybe for you, you need to focus way, way more on the giver and not just the gifts. Maybe you're so focused on what God has called you to do, you're not focusing on God. Or last, maybe this week there's a person in your life that you need to call today to speak truth and love. What are you going to resolve to do today? I'm going to pray for us, and I want to give us space to just talk to God. Because we're going to take communion in a moment. I want to take communion with a really clear heart with God. Whatever God is putting on your heart today, I would encourage you to talk to him and do work with him today. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, speak to us right now, Father, these next few moments, Lord. Reveal hidden sin. Reveal pride. Reveal blind spots, Lord. And let us run to your loving kindness through repentance, Father. You have loved us so well, Father. Let us respond with confession and repentance this morning. Take a few moments to just talk to God.